0: It is never too late to be what you might have been. George Eliot Getting older conceals a dichotomy. With each year, a gap widens between our actualized selves and the potential selves we've left unexplored. As such, age comes with a paradox. On the one hand, you've lived long enough to know something of the world. Your knowledge has deepened through experience and it gives you a sense of orientation. And yet, you also carry baggage. You've become who you are, but carry also who you might have been. This does not have to mean regret though. Simply, certain potentials in us have not, through circumstance or fate, manifested. However, this sense of what we could become never lets us rest. Or rather, we convince ourselves we've arrived in life while concealing certain aspects of our spirit as if in a secret chamber. We surround this chamber with the comforts of modern life, the so-called rewards of achievement. I'm okay with where I am now. I've done my bit. And so, we make peace with what we become by boxing up what it is we might be. Without noticing a gulf forms between the cultivated self and the dormant self. That dormant self contains our unexpressed potential, and in caging it, it assumes a demonic form. The problem is, though, that demons cannot be contained. You can lock Pandora's box, but its contents can't be willed out of existence. And so you try to sleep a deep sleep. But in your sleep, You realize certain things can know no locking. A voice erupts from the depth. You shoot upright, phantasmal writings on the wall, decrypted from the deep without your permission. How the hell have I never fulfilled this? What led to this place where I half the world and yet no longer willing to place a bet upon my own life, my own dream, my own potential? The only thing you were ever afraid of was yourself, and you know now it cannot be jailed. The only question is, what will you do now that Pandora's box has been wrenched open? It turns out, our capacity to repress is no match for those ancient spirits. Who it is we could be, that is, our deepest potential, never quite leaves us alone. There is a tendency in modern guru culture, in fact, I think in neurosis, always to want to find the light, something beautiful. It manifests as the projection of the perfect life, the dreariest of modern phenomena. And yet, our potential is carried just as much by the sharp tongue of our inner devil as the angels we seek. The myth of the perfect life perpetuated on social media, cast suspicion on the devil's role. On deeper analysis, though, our own potential is ever in league with the demonic. As Faust asks, Who are you then? I am part of that power which eternally wills evil and eternally works good. This demon, far from the dark scepter he's portrayed as, has an important role. He comes to rough up our complacency, to remind us that growth is inherently an uncomfortable experience. And is that not the experience, as one thing becomes another? To become more yourself is to pass through a threshold. But in the modern lexicon, thresholds being painful are, we think, better avoided. Yes, we are attracted to peace as we get older. Yet what happens when we find that the peace is bland or built upon the quicksand of unfulfilled things, and so our demon flays us, not because it's a sadist, but because the skin we're accustomed to no longer fits; it suffocates. The only question now: Are you ready to shed it, as Anais Nin said? And the day came when the wrists remained tight in a bud was more painful than the risk it took to blossom i am deeply suspicious of the idea of self-love as expressed in the modern form it's a commodified idea just because it glows in the dark does not mean it leads to the light perhaps it's at least poetically complete that the darkness on the internet is offset by its vacuous pools of light At times, though, I find the brutality of the dark easier to stomach than being hoodwinked by the latest charlatan. Yes, nothing is easier to dispense at the vending machine of human longing than self-love. These mass-produced, counterfeit realities have eaten away the soul of society, while, incidentally, earning its hucksters millions of dollars. Turns out, selling the impossible dream is immeasurably profitable unless you are selling me something which confronts rather than cures then it is not for me as emerson put it in his essay on self-reliance to be yourself in a world that is constantly trying to make you something else is the greatest accomplishment part three and so i'm not in pursuit of self-love but something ever unfolding and available, a living sense of one's own potential. As something ever becoming, it is ever unfixed. While the idea of self-love may attract many, it manifests all too often in the insatiable narcissism of the modern. Instead, what I seek is the courage to delve inwards, to discover something living. It's in the confrontation with what the devil chooses to put on my table, that I find the opportunity of the future. It's in this conversation that I find my deepest happiness despite the way it tests and cajoles me. It's a question which has led me to the topic of my podcast to explore the relationship between creativity and entrepreneurship. Instead of yearning for a perfect life, I'm instead asking the question, how can I change the trajectory of my life? When I started examining this topic, I started noticing patterns in myself which I could see all around me. Can we break out of our own chains? To break out of the assumptions which chain us down, we must have the courage to take an axe to the irons. And I noticed this entering my forties, that I felt somehow trapped, as if the present version of myself no longer fit. It provoked the question. How can I make my future other than it has been in my past? It was a tough question, one which erupted from the underworld but which came pregnant with opportunity. Why? Because all around us, we are bound by limiting beliefs. What happens if we dare to cast these off? As James Baldwin wrote, freedom is not something that anybody can be given. Freedom is something people take and people are as free as they want to be. And so, the danger as we get older is that we start buying into the illusion that there is nothing new out there for us. We are fixed in our life. Our script is written. Sometimes it manifests as a tired acquiescence to our circumstances, but its sharper edge is cynicism. I remember at 17 getting into a conversation with a man in his 40s. He seemed so broken and I wanted to know why. I always remember his answer. It's the world, mate. By the time you're my age, you'll understand. You get cynical. And if you don't, you're a fool. And I remember thinking, no, there has to be another way. Somewhere along the way, many of us lose faith in life. And just as critically, a sense of hope. I see this as a premature ending of our spiritual life. Spiritual life, not in an esoteric sense, but as the belief that we can continue to grow as we get older. I see it everywhere. People who have arrived at a dubious sense of adulthood in their 20s and have been fixed in their attitudes ever since. Adulthood is not something you arrive at in your 20s. It's something you begin at. Perhaps nothing is more misconstrued than the idea of adulthood. Becoming an adult is a lifelong journey. It's one of the curiosities I found in life to arrive in an adult world only to find it's run by children. When I've felt most lost or broken, it has even given me a sense of solace. Could this brokenness that I feel in this present moment in fact be an opportunity? In a world masquerading as healthy, while so self-evidently certifiable, couldn't there be something of worth in your insights, gleaned from the dark as they are? I set up my podcast because I decided I wanted to invest in hope. The devilry of cynicism is that it says everything is already decided for you. That no matter what you do, your life cannot be changed. And yet as I get older, believing in hope as an abstract is no longer enough for me. I spent my 30s reconciling my spirit with the conditions of existence, mortality, loss and the question of suffering. Yet it's your job as you mature to break down your insights into a communicable form. The newsletter and the podcast are two ways I'm trying to transform these abstract insights gained from a life in the arts into a more concrete form. I'm trying to unlock my own latent potential by translating the mystery into a language that other people can understand too. It's early in this new journey and it's challenging me while also provoking me to a new form. As Murakami wrote in Kafka on the Shore, when you come out of the storm, you won't be the same person who walked in. That's what the storm is all about. As I started to reimagine my life, I realized my particular area of interest is the intersection of three things. You can imagine them as a Venn diagram. The first circle is filled with creativity, the second, spirituality, and the third, solopreneurship, and by that I mean a one-person business in the digital economy. At the intersection of these three interests is an unknown area of the world where a particular mystery resides for me. On the one hand, there is so much I know about these subjects, and yet at their intersection they clash, fuse, and merge. It's this energy I'm drawn to, and which I've made my own unique challenge to decrypt, decode, and decipher. I believe passionately that there is enormous value in this intersection. In learning about it, I hope to help others find new pathways in the maze of their own lives. That also presents an opportunity, even if its shape I'm not yet sure of. What I'm certain of, though, is that I'm feeling a tremendous sense of life renewal in diving into this intersection. I'm feeling creatively inspired in my filming and songwriting, eager to connect with others in fresh ways and hopeful about building a business in the future. Some say never tell others your intentions because it only sets you up for failure. I say success and failure, be damned. Does it make your heart beat? As Ralph Ellison wrote in The Invisible Man, life is to be lived, not controlled. And humanity is won by continuing to play in the face of certain defeat Part 5 Coming from the arts the idea of a personal brand has always been anathema to me My life philosophy has been less about trying to build something specific but rather about following my intuition And yet in my attempt to decode what I'm trying to do in the world I'm getting more specific So I'm setting out my stall at this intersection between creativity spirituality and solopreneurship Let me explain what each represents to me. I see spirituality as the way that we wrestle with the condition of being human, especially in regard to our relationship with the world. Creativity on the other hand is the way we dare to shape and express our spiritual inklings into a new and communicable form. And finally, solopreneurship I see as the ideal vehicle by which we can utilize our potential in the digital economy. That is, to share the knowledge we've built up over a lifetime in a way that both brings tremendous value and for which we can be paid for. The reason I'm doubling down on a convergence of creativity, spirituality, and solopreneurship is due to three concerning trends I've observed in recent years. Trends I believe I can positively influence in some way. Those trends are, one, the despair felt by today's artists. Two, the digital economy's lack of appeal to those over 40. And three, society's waning attention span thanks to social media. The reset I'm making in my life is one I see as possible for many who feel stuck. But the reason I've got so serious about it and expressing it is that you have to dare to live what you intuit. The first thing I had to realize, it's not too late. However, once you dare to actually challenge where you've got to, you have to be bold enough to implement the changes in yourself. That means not just drawing out your dormant potential, which is a painful experience because you won't like everything that you find there, but also fronting up to your own life. As Victor E. Frankl wrote, When we are no longer able to change a situation, we are challenged to change ourselves. So for me, the spiritual represents the universal. The creative represents how the individual expresses the universal. And solopreneurship is how that expression is formulated in a way that allows us to function in the real world. The intersection of these three concepts is energized by one thing. That is the spirit of hope. As someone in my 40s, this sense of hope has arrived as a form of revelation That the demonic voice of potential inside us does not have to manifest as a form of destruction. Rather, we have the potential to renew our lives and to give back to the world by doing so. This potential is ever available, ever potential in us. For me personally, these insights have emerged out of one of the most difficult periods of my life. I've covered this in great detail in the project I'm now striving to complete. The isolation diaries. What has arisen out of this turbulence is the decision to affirm despite the darkness. That is, the characteristic of a newfound faith in life. That is, to dare to live with hope. However, this hope must be rooted in a commitment to action. This is not just how we fasten ourselves to the real world, but how we deliver proof of concept. As an artist, it's too easy to linger in a netherland hoping the world will just get it. No, it's your job to break the mystery down and deliver it in a communicable form. If you do that in a way that others understand and which brings value to the world, then the world will reward you for it. For me, the act of asking the hardest question, is it too late for me, has kick-started a period of regeneration. As Carl Jung said, Until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. Part 6 I've discussed the demon of our own potential and how so many of us lock it up. Why then don't we simply unlock it? Fear. We fear the regret of what we haven't already done. And for many of us, regret is an animal best kept caged. As such, we marry ourselves, subconsciously at least, to the illusory idea that if we haven't started already, then why the hell start now? It's a limiting belief and it's one we must ransack. To do so, we need to do two things. The first is to make a deep spiritual effort and the second, a practical commitment. The spiritual effort says, what can I be? The practical commitment says, what can I do? In the clash of these two forces, I found my life extraordinarily re-energized. Why? Because their collision expresses the essence of the human condition. Being versus doing. I conducted my personal investigation into being during the last years working on the Isolation Diaries project. It involved to some degree world rejection. That is, exchanging the meaningless, fragmented, distracted confusion of the modern world in the pursuit of my own centre. As Lao Tzu put it, at the centre of your being, you have the answer. You know who you are and you know what you want. The ensuing project A film, an album, and a book documents a man rewriting himself from the inside. The product of that reformatting has been to bring me to the doorstep of my future, which is where I now find myself. The key realization which emerged at the climax of my isolation was that my creative life was not over. I headed out into the wild, dared to create a void in myself, and out of the abyss came renewed artistic expression. Let me put it like this what I chose to leave behind was returned to me. To rediscover it though, I had to dare to let it all go. The ways we rewrite ourselves are not always initiated by acts of doing, instead, they are preceded by the courage to be. And the modern, in all our vigor and bustle of ambition and doing, has little courage for being. For us, Progress is always something that must be forced rather than something invited. It's why we hate stuckness above all things. Yet nothing is more misunderstood than the critical role that stuckness plays in driving forward our spiritual progression. We resist it with all our might because we're not yet ready to hear the offering that it brings. Its voice, as hinted at earlier, is often demonic in tone and says the thing we least want to hear in the whole world. But when we hear it, it arrives as a revelation. It presents the action we must take yet least want to pursue. We resist it because it represents the edge of what is beyond us. But that which is beyond us provokes us into becoming more us. In my experience, the stimulation provoked by fear is often followed by a period of inertia. This feels like a profound torment when you see what you know you should do, but the shock of actually seeing it devours your energy. You feel stuck, Because it's a defence mechanism to freeze in the face of danger. We're not ready for what the world is asking for us. That is, why the call of adventure is so often met by the most profound resistance. Even when our bag is packed and we're at the door, about to do exactly what we want to do, suddenly the voice arises, Fuck! I'm not ready for this! As Campbell wrote, The cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek seven. I remember this feeling at the start of my Journeys project. It was 2013 and I'd lost my major label deal with EMI. I had no idea how to go forward in life. And then, out of the blue, came a call from China. I picked up the phone. Jim, we have a tour for you. Opportunity had arrived. It was not a case of choice. Once you're dropped by a major label, you're done in the music industry. This call was the only thing I could do in the world to continue my path. And so I packed up my bag and my heart pumped. I knew this to be the one thing, the only thing. Those moments in your life when your life is decided by a course simply because there is no other. Descending into Beijing, I saw the lights, the smog, the opportunity and the unknown. The apex of my career had carried in its pocket its nadir where was i now between worlds and my heart hammered landing represented the future i was falling towards it one moment there was expectation the next terror Otherised by my lack of choice nothing could stop the descent into the unknown i was committed and knowing There was no way back. I felt mortal terror. In those moments, you would give your whole world not to have to answer the call. Let me stay as I am. I'm not ready. And yet, life does call us. You know the only way is through, not back. There is no one coming to walk you through the valley of darkness. It's your journey to discover what lies beyond the threshold of your courage. Namely who you are not as you were but as you're becoming your deepest self knows that it's only in meeting its calling that it can be fulfilled it is in this fusion between fear potential calling and fate that we have the opportunity of our lives that is to become ourselves not as we were but as we might be as this wonderful line from t.s Eliot's four quartets evokes What we call the beginning is often the end, and to make an end is to make a beginning. The end is where we start from. I became who I am because I passed through that threshold and discovered what was on the other side of that fear. It was uncomfortable, it was painful, it was even terrifying. I discovered that through our fragmentation we are formed into a greater whole. That's how it feels to grow. Writing about this all these years later, I understand now that there is not one threshold, but many. Personally, I stand before one right now, as I expect you do too. We may find ourselves at different points in a cycle, but it is a cycle nonetheless. The point of today's podcast is that these thresholds are not age-specific, but rather arrive at critical points in our journeys. The idea that it's too late for me is just a new version of an old threshold we've already passed through. The limiting belief we encounter is, I should have started earlier, therefore it's too late for me and it's a desperate falsity. We present the idea that it's too late for me as a truth because we're unwilling to recognize it as an excuse. The thing that's bugging you is your living potential you treat it as a demon because it comes to disrupt all that you know and so the world weary part of you shuts it down that shutting down is called repression but why not ask instead what would it really mean to start pursuing that thing you deem is too late for you well very often there are three excuses we use I don't have the energy, I don't have the time, I don't have the skills. And yet, the very confrontation with what it is you deem yourself lacking is the very area where your growth awaits. Often, it's too late for me means I am no longer willing to go through the pain of growth. We can visualize that growth because it manifests symbolically in front of us, usually as a hard challenge. And yes, the journey of becoming who you are is the hardest challenge of all. Why? Because it's only ever provoked into existence by answering the call of the unknown. The road to becoming who you are is ever forward. And the notion that it's too late for me is simply an excuse that we use to cauterize our growth. The reality is that we get set in our ways. To take on something new, especially new growth, means that we have to disrupt our own patterns. And yet... Why not shake up the kaleidoscope? If you're lacking energy, why not orientate your life towards rebuilding it? We don't have enough energy because we've fallen victim to the modern curse that we have no time. But why do we have no time? Because we've made ourselves busy to the point of madness. And yet busyness is the defense mechanism we use to shut down the voice we fear most that of our own potential. As Marianne Williamson writes in A Return to Love, Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. Our modern fantasy is that if we make ourselves busy, then we must be growing. And yet we spend a life climbing a ladder only to find that we've placed it next to the wrong damn wall. What if becoming yourself means you have to start descending the ladder rather than pursuing the status anxiety of having to reach the top? What good is that top if it's the wrong damn top? When I set out on the isolation diaries, I determined to dismantle my own ladder. It has been liberating beyond belief. Not to give up ambition, but to determine to live by a value that is true to me. The modern mania does not account for the fact that busyness for busyness sake is a form of utter madness. As the Buddha himself said, haste comes from the devil. And yet we force our yoga classes into 18 hour days to prove our spiritual life. No, what we moderns are most afraid of is being static. And yet stare into the static and you notice the nothingness is electrified and full of potential. Why? Because static is generated by external disturbances clashing with our own internal circuitry. Its product? A hailstorm of energy and potential. As Nietzsche said, one must still have chaos in oneself to be able to give birth to a dancing star. Part 8 And so, how do we challenge the voice which says it's too late for us? we may have to first reduce our world so that we may rebuild it. We're afraid of stopping because static space is erratic. We will be confronted by ourselves more, not less. And at the start, it very well may scare us, because we are not used to it. We claw back time from the fates only to find that the inner voice is not singular, but multiple. We discover these voices as doubts, and the thing about doubts is that they are like hydras, you sever off one head and then many more grow in its place. It turns out that we feel we were right to restrict entering this space of recreation after all, because in entering it, you have to grapple not with things separately, but with the whole. It's in this confrontation that we learn to know about ourselves anew. It's the dark room of potential, where all devils and all angels exist, and in no longer being repressed all must be welcomed within this space we often find ourselves so scared that we crave to return to that which we were before and yet in turning around we see that the bridge we crossed is now on fire you forgot that in your recklessness you deemed to commit to your new path and now you have to deal with the consequences there is no turning back It's only at this point in my experience that the really good stuff starts happening. The act of commitment is consecrated at the moment when there can be no turning back. There is only one choice to go forward into the unknown. And so off we set. And soon we find we can't do it all ourselves. We just don't have the tools yet to cope with the demands of this new environment. And so we reach out to the world And this act itself is revelatory. Whereas once we were so fixed in our positions and so safe in our lives, now we are without orientation and it compels us to reach out. We are intruders in a vast space and it's scary, but fear serves its own purpose. We're ready to receive again from the world. And the world answers, often with a mentor or a guide, perhaps the first we've ever had. This newfound humility opens us up in a way we never knew possible. And in this opening up, three things become available to us. Knowledge, inspiration, and potential. It turns out, the point we were most afraid of is exactly the point we most needed to get to. Because something cracks in us. And this crack, opened by terror, lets in something new. It's that new knowledge that brings us to the door of what was missing in our lives. Of course, this guardian or gatekeeper cannot walk us through that door. They can only provide us with the key to unlock it. Going through it, we must do ourselves. Part 9 When it comes to the idea that it's too late for us, it's often because we've become so fixed in our position in the world that we no longer feel ready or willing for new adventure. Yet the flip side of ignoring the call is to go into our future forever, not as we could be, but always as we were. And to get something new in life, you have to be willing to sacrifice something. But the paradox of sacrifice is that it's the ultimate act of faith. You do not get reassurances from the gods that they will give you back something in return. The exchange is not guaranteed. That's the nature of faith, that it's reckless. That it's foolhardy, that it's beyond our seeing. That's why living with faith is the opposite of living in cynicism. The cynic only believes what he can see, and often this is conditioned by what he knows backwards, that is, what he's lived through. The person of faith, on the other hand, walks forward, even while knowing that the reward that they seek will likely not be the reward that they get. This is the destination I want to arrive at in this podcast because all too often our decision not to pursue something new is because we are imprisoned by the fear of failure. What about instead grasping on to the spirit of reckless faith? If there's one thing I've learned, it's that the way the world rewards you is rarely the one you intended. Once the sacrifice is made, you have no idea how events will unfold. Yes, gravitate towards the goal that you set out towards, yet prepare for the storm to blow you in an unintended course. Do not presume that course to be wrong, it will just be different. It is what you learn in the storm itself which makes you who you are, not the destination, but the person formed as you get there. We want to achieve our goals as some type of token we can present to the world as an emblem of our becoming. And yet your becoming is not expressed in what you build, but who you become while building it. That's your true legacy. Final thought. So say to yourself, it's not too late. You have no idea what the world has in store for you. It will challenge you. It may even break you, but in that breaking, you will be made anew, rewritten from within into a shape you never thought possible, because that's what happens when we enter a threshold. We are smashed by the storm, and in surviving emerge, not as we were, but as we were meant to become. Our trajectory, once fixed, is now open. It's not.